We want to remind everyone we have social media exclusive content like our two-minute drill as well as other video content. To find that, please make sure to follow us on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and TikTok for more. We are kicking off episode number five here on the Let's Be Frank video podcast. I am Jason Duey alongside legendary head coach Frank Monica, and we have a lot for you tonight. We have some prep football, Tulane, LSU, Saints, and we're also going to talk with head coach of the Jesuit Blue Jays, Ryan Manali. Uh, we have a tribute to head coach Buddy Tevens and more. But before we go ahead and bring on head coach Frank Monica, we want to thank our title sponsor, Accardo and Dufresne Law Firms, your go-to River Parish lawyers. And we want to thank them for being the title sponsor of our podcast. And we're going to go ahead and bring on Coach Monica. Coach, uh, still about that midway point in the season. By this point in the season, what are you hoping as a head coach to find out about your team moving forward? Well, first of all, you have to you have to look and see what bodies you have available to see because all of a sudden the injury bug halfway through the season is starting to take its toll on some people. And uh, and then if you if you can get a kid back, you might hold him for a couple ball games and try to save it for the playoffs. As you see, it's, it's in sight. And now the power ranking systems have come out, and, and uh, they're starting to get a trend because some of the power rankings will not change very much when it, once you get into district play. Some of these schools have not gotten to district play, but uh, but right now you're still evaluating and you still make an assessment of who can play and who can't. And uh, it, it's almost to the time that, you, that you're not desperate yet, but uh, you're looking at the schedule and saying, where can I pick up wins to increase my power ranking? And absolutely, Coach. And we're going to go ahead and get started with our prep talk. We're going to recap last week. And starting out, we have St. Paul's who took on Slidell 28-7. to Believe it or not, Slidell led this game 7 to nothing going into half. St. Paul's real deal 28 points. Coach, we mentioned that front seven returned two all-district players. They only gave up 91 yards in this ballgame. A really impressive win and possibly could earn this team a, st- uh, a district title. Uh, yes, I mean, you know, even though it's the first ball game, that's a very competitive district. Not surprising that St. Paul won uh, the ball game. Uh, Slidell just need to find their offense because they've always been very good on defense. In our next matchup, we had Manny who took on Newman. Newman came away with the 49-31 to 31 victory. A little bit of revenge in that game. Newman went down early 10-0, but really reeled that offense around again. Eli Friend has been just phenomenal at the quarterback position, leading the way and maneuvering their offense. I'm, I'm sure that's great revenge for Newman uh, against them because last year they, they were beaten there. They're, they're on a little streak right now, and I think Newman is just kind of prepping themselves with the rest of their schedule, and it could be such a big uh, game 10 uh, leading up to a big game way down the road against SEC, and I think that they're, they're on course to, to, to be there at the end, uh, maybe unblemished, but uh, they got. I think that they're probably the most complete team right now uh, that we've seen uh, other than St. Charles in, in that division. And that's a wide-open division, so we'll see how things play out for them. In our next matchup, we had St. Charles taking on De La Salle. St. Charles won 32-14. Coach, the Comets held the De La Salle team to under 180 yards. A nice defensive effort. A little bit of momentum shifts back and forth in the second quarter, but ultimately the Comets were able to power through and win this ballgame. It was very physical in the trenches, and it wasn't an easy deal for St. Charles to move the football, but they found ways that they hit a couple passes. They had a little short spot route that went for a 70-yard touchdown pass, and, and their, their defense played extremely, extremely well. And uh, De La Salle 
uh, did not solve that defense all night long. But the game was close, and it was very physical in the trenches. And and uh, they had sometimes they had problems moving the ball because uh, Sal had had some they had some playmakers on defense. In our next game, we had Curtis taking on Jesuit. Curtis came away with the forty-one to twenty-one victory. Curtis had a hundred of three hundred sixty-eight rushing yards. They have so many guys that can carry the rock and make plays happen. That's a really difficult team to stop. No, no question. And, and if you can't stop, as we talked about before on this on this show, if you can't stop the hard dive, it's going to be a long, long night because their offensive line just rolls off the ball and blows people back. They've always massive up front and always had a multitude of backs there and a quarterback. You know, that quarterback they have this year. In fact, they have two that can really operate their offense. So uh, they're they're just they're just going to get better and better every week. And, and until you play them, you really don't know what you're getting into. Coach, we've kind of talked about having depth and why it's so important. How do you fall in? How do you not fall into the trap of there's so many weapons at your disposal and, and get away from the hot hand? Because when you have so many guys who can carry the football effectively or make plays, how do you get it? How do you distribute the ball enough so everybody gets some touches and, and has an impact and you're getting fresh guys opportunities to bust the game open? But also, how do you know when to play the hot hand? Well, I think it was, every player must have a role, and I think the coaches, I think, meet with the players, especially your skilled guys, the guy that will touch the ball, whether you're a receiver or whatever. Said, this is your package, and when you're in the ball game, you're going to run these particular plays, and, uh, and and you'll go from there. And because some guys can do some things, maybe I'm a better blocker, maybe I'm a better ball carrier, maybe I'm better on the perimeter than inside runner. And, uh, you know, so some guys are really, really good on the perimeter. They're quick, but others are, others are a, a lot better going – going north and south. And as a coach, that's what you have to be able to evaluate that. In our next matchup, we had Destrahan defeating Hornville 47-11. to Hornville has really been on a roll, not only in this season, but in this series. They amassed 521 yards in this game. Very versatile offense and very difficult to stop. Well, yes, I think Destrahan's on a mission to, you know, uh, to get to the state championship again. I don't think Hornville has the, the, the horses yet to compete with them right now. We sort of knew that ball game was going to be go that particular way. Um, and Hornville just has to find a way to, for the rest of the, the year to kind of compete in their district so they can get themselves in the playoffs and maybe be a contender at the end. Right now, they're not ready to contend. Coach, this past year, Destran, of course, won the title. They're the defending state champions. You've also had experience in that department. How difficult is it to go from being a team that's on a mission to hunt down a state title to being the team that everybody has circled on your schedule? Well, you know, every year is different, and every team has a different uh, character and intensity, and it's amazing. And the leadership level on your team just fluctuates. And and when you get that bell cow guy that can lead a team, it sometimes only takes one. But if you have that particular guy, you'd love to have several of them. You You can preach leadership all you want to, but it has to be innate. It has to be something that's natural to a kid. And, uh, you know, leaders are not real popular on the team. They're the guys that will get in your face. They're the guys that, that won't let you take a lazy step on the field. And uh, th- and they're guys that just won't let you let down. They'll get on you in the weight room. They'll get on you when you're running gassers. Uh, those guys are special. And if you got one, you better cherish him. And, uh, but you try to talk leadership, but it's got to be a natural thing. Thank you, Coach. And in our next matchup, we had Brother Martin taking on Washington Parish. Brother Martin goes on the road. That's a, a huge step when you consider experience for possible situations in the playoff to go on the road and get that win. 
Jordan West, a buck 16 on the day at the running back position. Nice win for uh, Brother Martin. Yeah, I would understand it, that Brother Martin can match the physicality of, of Washington. And uh, they must have done that, especially if they if it had a rush of over 100 yards. I think that that bodes well for them. Uh, prepared for the district play, that's also very, very physical. Uh, you know, with the Catholic League and the Catholic League teams in, in, in all, they're very physical. They know how to run the football and, and they're well, well coached. So, uh, but I understand Washington Parish is a very, very big football team. And uh, I don't know how well they throw the ball, but I think Brother Martin was able to use balance and, and the Ruka special team to win the game. It must be a North Louisiana thing. I don't know why those those boys up up from North Louisiana always seem to be bigger, but uh, yeah. a, a big win for them regardless. So in our more, next match, was that coach? It's more cornbread. They have more cornbread than we have. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. In our next matchup, we had Holy Cross defeating Rommel forty nine to twenty eight. Coach, what were your thoughts on that matchup? Yeah, coach. Uh, this game was an offensive game, but Holy Cross. I mean, Rumble never did stop them. They, they're they're victim right now. They're victimized by a lot of injuries, and I don't know if they're going to get any of them back. Uh, Holy Cross is has a real, real good offense. The coordinator is a very good little op- a quarterback, rather. He's a very good little operator. Got two big receivers on the outside. They they move the ball well. They move the ball well through the air. And um, Rumble made a little push in the game, but it wasn't enough to to overcome them. And uh, and and. Uh, they had another kid hurt in the ball game, so maybe uh, if if they can see the light and get these, some of these young guys to play and, and compete, I think that's the bottom line for them is convince them that they can compete. Uh, that that would be the difference in their in their season uh, throughout the rest of the Catholic League push. And I was at that game, and what you did see was there was some fight from some of the running backs and their playmakers trying to make plays late. So at this point, it's. It's an uphill, it's an uphill battle for sure. But again, we'll see what Rumble can do with the rest of their stretch. In our right. last game, we had Carr defeating Saint Aug twenty-seven to sixteen. Carr was actually down in this game. Saint Aug ended up taking took the lead earlier in the game with some defensive plays, but the athleticism of Carr just eventually wore wore down and won this ball game. I, I, I think you know that that was a battle of the of the week right there because Carr is so talented, and I mean. Their second unit can win a lot of districts, you know, uh, when it comes to that. They have speed. Uh, St. Aug is also talented. Also, look at the people that they've played in their schedule. Their schedule has prepared them for the rest of this uh, this this run. And, you know, the, the discouraging thing, I say discouraging, is you look at the Catholic League, they're playing one another, beating one another to death, and they turn around in the playoffs and they have to face one another again. And that's that's not any fun. You know, that, and I, I think that, Something must be done because, I mean, year in, year out, you might have to play a, a real good opponent on week 10 and have to turn around and play them again the first round of the playoff. And that's happened several times already. So, you know, we'll, we'll keep our eyes on this. But I think St. Aug is a team that can go a long way also. Speaking of, Coach, you just mentioned a situation that I know you faced personally, in particular when you were in the district with Lutcher. When you have to play a team in week 10 and then turn around and face them in round one, how does that change your approach? How does that change your approach in the first game, knowing that that's a potential? Well, you, you know that sometimes it it works to your benefit, and sometimes it doesn't. I, I remember one year that we we played Head Lutcher um, it, during the during the season, and we won. We won easily, and but we faced them again. And the second time we faced them, we thought we were facing someone else, and um, and all of a sudden. Uh, the other team lost right at the at the last minute, and Lutcher had beaten this team, and we had to end up playing Lutcher again within within a, a three week span, 
and our kids never were motivated to play again. They were looking at that other team, and um, we couldn't get them off the carpet, and we actually lost that, that quarterfinal ball game. So sometimes it, it works against you if you had beaten that team. You know, sometimes it's, it's hard to, to motivate them, especially if everything else is equal. Now, if you've got a big powerhouse, it doesn't matter. But, uh, you know, uh, no matter what you try to tell kids, they read the newspapers, they listen to parents, they listen to fans, and sometimes it's hard, hard to keep their focus. Don't forget they got social media these days. So, amen. And, we, and we're contributing to that. So, good for us. Um, when you look at week five, they got some really good matchups. In our first matchup, we're going to talk about is Country Day taking on Riverside. Country Day one and three on the season. Riverside three and one. Last year, Riverside won this game. Uh, Country Day trying to find themselves offensively. Uh, they're going to have to find a way to dictate the run against a Riverside team that has a lot of athleticism despite losing a lot of talent last year on offense. Uh, yeah, I think that they're hitting all cylinders. I don't see anyone on their schedule that's a, that can stop them from here on out. I think they got things rolling now. They're, Coach Roussel has, has got that offense rolling, and Coach Lashton of the defensive side of the ball. And Coach Cheddar at, at Country Day does a phenomenal job for the personnel that he has, but his personnel does not match up with Riverside at this time. Speaking of personnel, right now, Riverside is averaging 36 points per game. They had four returning offensive linemen, including Amari Alexander, who clocks in at 6'1 and 310 pounds. So it's difficult to line up against a big boy like that and, and try to blow him off the ball. In our next matchup, we had St. Charles taking on Vanderbilt Catholic. Last year, St. Charles won this ball game. Of course, the Comets coming unbeaten. Jalen Coleman, a four-star running back from Vanderbilt Catholic, very athletic, but he's going to have to carry a lot of the load against a very athletic and talented St. Charles defense if this Terriers ball club is going to stay competitive. I, I think last week um, Vanderbilt actually held Lusher to one offensive touchdown. So that, even that score was deceiving. They're, they're, they're pretty tough on defense, uh, pretty good. Uh, they're old-fashioned. They will be physical, but offensively, I don't know if they if they have the, the horses to move the ball unless there's a, a breakdown uh, on the defense by, by SEC, which doesn't happen very often. So I, I don't see if, I know if they have the firepower, the speed. I think the difference in this game is going to be the speed of, of SEC and that defense against the Vanderbilt offense. And plus, you know, uh, St. Charles has been very, very, very talented. But they got a couple of game breakers on, on the offensive side of the ball. Uh, you know, Brady St. Pierre's had a, had a real refined season so far as the quarterback, the new quarterback. Uh, you know, they've, they've done very, very well with it. The, they have a running back that Willis, by the name of Willis who's, who's lighting it up. Uh, you know, they, they, I mean, they have a lot of weapons So to go with their football team. So it's going to take a complete team to beat them or somebody's going to have to come out extremely, extremely, uh, you know, uh, I hate to use the word flat, but someone's going to have to come out extremely flat to, for St. Charles not to be ready to play. This is going to sound like a broken record, but ball control is going to be crucial for Vanderbilt Catholic to have a chance in limiting Daniel Joseph on the perimeter, 124 yards receiving last week. It's amazing how, how fast he looks. Nobody catches him. Big, long-legged guy, and, and everybody has a shot at him, but nobody catches him. We'll see if Vanderbilt Catholic can do just that this week. In our next matchup, we have St. Aug taking on Jesuit. St. Aug comes in at 2-2, two and two, but... Again, very t difficult schedule that they played. Jesuit one and three. Uh, St. All coming off that loss to Carr, so kind of trying to find themselves. We know that Jesuit has a, a very young ball club, and now you're going to face the extremely talented ball club in St. All. you got to find a way to move the ball and 
you know, uh, try to get your young guys in a, a position where they can make some plays. Well, the, the, the talent level and the speed, the St. Dog speed against Jesuits, uh, the, the uh, Jesuit players will not be the same, but Jesuit will be in position. They will be in position. You might juke them. You might, uh, might outrun them, but they'll be in position. And they will fight. They will fight. This game is going to be a little bit closer than what people would think. Uh, there will be a speed factor difference. But uh, Jesuit will fight, and that, that I can see this game going down to four, four quarters. Coach, what's the most important thing when you play a team that you know out-athletes you? What's the most important thing in your approach to a game? Because I, not, not necessarily the, the week in and week out, the everyday things, but in that situation, in that game, when you're game planning, what's, what's maybe the most important thing to take into account? Well, I think the big thing is you, you don't want to give up the big play. Don't give up the, the big play, what they call explosive plays. If you can stay away from the explosive plays on defense, that is big in football, in defensive football. And if you can create a couple turnovers, that is another factor that's very, very big in, in football. So what I'm saying, you tell the secondary, try to keep the ball in front. Uh, it's okay to, to allow a completion, but what's not okay is the yards after the catch. So once he makes a completion, get him on the ground. That's, that's huge. And offensively, you want to be able to move the chains, even though you punt the ball, move the chains and gradually play that field position with you. And if you're able to move the chains on, on the ground, it's even better because now you keep, you keep their offense off the field. So when you play a team that's talented like that, I think you're looking for your offense to, to always be inside the chains. What does that mean? First down, I want three yards. Second down, I want, I want two or three more yards. So on third down calls, I have a lot of third down calls in my back pocket, but not, there's not many third and 12 calls in your back pocket. Thanks, Coach. And when you look at the next matchup, we have Rommel taking on Scotlandville. Rommel comes in at one and three. We know the issues there. We know that they are really struggling with depth when you have nine guys out for injuries. It kind of goes without saying. Scotlandville is winless on the season, but they won a tight matchup last year, 35-34 against uh, this Rommel ball club. Rommel has a lot of talent offensively. It's a matter of can they put it together against – what is a loaded defensive group for Scotland, though? Yeah, that's exactly right. I think that's what it's going to come down to, Jason. You're exactly right. I think that the bottom line here and the war cry for Rumble this week is compete. Uh, you know, I saw them last week, and a lot of times a couple of guys just didn't compete. They were in position to make plays. They get in position, and they didn't compete because they're young. They're not, they're not used to the bright lights yet. And they haven't been have enough reps. Scotlandville is still very talented, even though they played a tough schedule, even though they don't have a win. But I think both these teams are going to need a win uh, to move up as, as far as their power ranking is concerned. And more importantly, is for their psyche. They need, I think you know you always can can uh, can do better off a win and get more confident. People ask, what comes first, the confidence or the success? You always have to have success first. And then once you have it, you've done it once, they know they can do it again. So I think the, the war cry for Rumble this week is just to go and compete and don't be afraid to fail. You know the type of team you have when you're wounded in the corner and how do you come back and fight back from that? And I think we're going to see what both of these teams are going to be made of after this matchup. In our next game, a big matchup between Carr and Brother Martin. Carr obviously undefeated. Brother Martin 3-1. and one. Brother Martin's only loss is to... What we can assume is going to be one of the two teams that's going to be playing in whatever the divisions are these days in St. Thomas Moore. Uh, we know that Carr has talent all over the field. John Johnson has been phenomenal at the quarterback position, but I think Brother Martin has to dictate the tempo with their offense, find a way to play big physical football 
and slow down the power and offense of Carr and run the ball with Jordan West, who's been a big part of their offense. Yeah, you know, you're exactly right. We talked about it earlier on the last uh, particular matchup. Uh, a game like this, if you're Brother Morton, you're thinking, I'm going to have to go for it on fourth down. I need to keep the ball out of their hands. I need to keep – I can't let that, that, that quarterback have that many at-bats at me because he's going to make his plays. A good football player is going to make his plays in the game. You just got to limit the amount of plays that he makes. So you can see uh, – I think it, the game comes down to Brother Morton's offense. If they're three and out, it's going to be a long night for them. But if they can maintain their run game, strong run game, and use a short passing game to move the ball, keep Carr's offense off the field, and be extremely, extremely sound on special teams. And I think that's important. Make them play on the long field. And when they do have to punt or kick off, uh, use it as use it as a, a positive play, not just to get to transition from offense to defense. Coach, when you go into a game and know that I have to go for it on fourth down in certain situations – how much does that impact your play scripting? Because, of course, you, you have an extra down mentally in your brain. So how much does that impact and affect the scripting that you do week in and week out when you know in this game I have to stay on the field? If we're at our own 45, we have to go for it. No question. What it does, it changes your third down call. Uh, and your third down call becomes something a little bit different because, you know, what people consider third medium might be four to six, might be four to medium. So maybe you're going to change your third down call to something that's maybe a second down call. You want to stay inside the chain. If you get backed up, if you get backed up, if you get backed up, for instance, on a, by a penalty or a sack or, or what you call a CBL, you know, caught behind the line. If you get backed up and you're playing long yards, then you're not going to win the game. And the chances of that. And, and and the most important thing is when you do get backed up, don't try to make it up with one play. If you have to punt, punt the ball, especially if you have a good punting unit, and play and play the defense from there. But don't give them anything. That's important. And uh, you play a game like this, you might have to come up with a, with a gadget or two. You know, every coach has one or two gadgets that they work on every week. Sometimes those gadgets might be on special teams. Sometimes they're on offense. But I think it's important that you come up with a gadget or two. Thank you, Coach. And looking at our matchup, we have a, an interesting matchup. Curtis comes into this game 3-0. We know what Curtis is and how talented they are. I can list off all the accolades they have, the fact that they have LSU commit Michael Turner and the defense that they have. But what's kind of been a surprise for some people has been Holy Cross coming in unbeaten, uh, a ton of athleticism on the perimeter. Uh, Canatella, their quarterback, has been phenomenal throughout the season. What's going to be really fascinating is Holy Cross's athletes on the perimeter taking on this Curtis defense. We know they've been able to be had success against these other teams, but how will they face off against what we know is a talented Curtis ball club? Yeah, exactly. You know, Curtis does not get the credit. Everybody talks about their Veer offense. They don't get the credit for their defense. Their defense over the years have really, really been – it's created opportunities for them. It's given them short fields. It's, they they – they, they, they get a lot of turnovers on, on the year, every year. They're very physical. And the, the things that uh, I think Holy Cross was doing to the other people, they won't be able to do to John Curtis. And I think the bottom line, uh, will Kenatello, who is a good passer, but will he have time? Will he have time to throw the ball down the field? Uh, I think that Holy Cross's game plan is to try to get the ball out to the perimeter, negate some of that core, the seven guys up front in the core, and try to work on that, that secondary a little bit. But, you know, Curtis will hit you, and, and they will bruise you. It's going to be a long – I think it's going to be a hard road for Holy Cross. I don't know if they've seen a, a team like Curtis all year long. I know they've played some good competition, but um, I saw their defense the other night. Their defense is not extremely uh, big. Uh, 
They will play hard, but they're not extremely big. And against Curtis' big offensive line, I think it's going to be awfully hard to slow them down. Trent Santos, linebacker for Holy Cross, had a big game. He's a very physical linebacker. He's going to have to plug in, as you mentioned, Coach. When you're hitting that dive, you got to hit it. You got to hit it immediately. And you got some more cut off you when you got Jason Gabriel, who had seven carries for 83 yards and two touchdowns, and Kareem Smith, who had six rushes for 90 yards. They have a ton of depth. So that's going to be the interesting matchup. Uh, and that game will be played Saturday in the Shrine on Airline. So we're going to move on to our next segment, which will be college football talk. Coach, in our first discussion, we have Tulane, who took care of business, right? They played Nichols. That's the game that they're supposed to win. They're supposed to win handily. We know Pratt's kind of getting his bearings about him after having to sit out a bit. So a 36-7 to win. What are some things you think Tulane's going to have to focus on moving forward with the remainder of their schedule? Well, I think, you know, that where the game was placed right prior to their first conference game is, is very, very important. As you said, it's a, it, but it's a win. A W is a W. Nickel State came in there hungry. They were, they were a wounded team themselves. And But those teams from the Bayou always, always play hard. I understand the first half was very, very scrappy. Uh, and Pratt didn't look like himself early in the game. And I'm glad that Coach Fritz actually played him because I think you, you have to get the rust off. And, the, you know, your timing is not there. But I think he played a lot better in the second half in that ball game. Uh, but Nichols put, on, put up a pretty good fight. And uh, But, you know, Tulane's defense was was not up to up to snuff like they normally were. They got, they got pushed a little bit in the middle and because they have a great run defense for their league. But, um, you know, it was a good win for Coach Fritz. And, and uh, you know, it, they, they took care of business. They did what they're supposed to do, and they won the game they're supposed to win. And that's all that I think the fans can ask for right now. It wasn't perfect. Uh, but, you know, you knew Nickel State was going to come in there with their backs against the wall and give them – because they, that's all they hear. When you play up like that, you play a little bit harder. Absolutely. Tulane is going to take on UAB next week. We know that UAB is 1-3 and three in this coming into this ball game, But – Again, you can't underestimate an opponent, especially as you mentioned. Tulane has the ability to have the talent, but they can't overlook anybody on their schedule. They still have a major college uh, football bowl berth at stake here as they're one of the top group of five teams in the country. Exactly. You know, And it's an early game, early kickoff. You know, so that's uh, in New Orleans. That doesn't go, normally go over well, you know, be, but uh, I think Coach would take care of that. I think Coach Fritz is – is excellent. He's a gamer. He's been there at all times. He knows exactly how to handle these kind of situations, and they're doing it for TV. and uh, And I think they would like to. They like to get off to a good start because everybody's picking them in this conference champions uh, championship. and And let's hope that's, that that holds up for them. Uh, don't know much about UAB, um, but you know uh, we do know that that Tulane is explosive offensively, and they have they have an excellent defense. that very very seldom out of position. And they have a, their special team coach, Coach Greg McMahon, does a phenomenal job getting those special teams ready. And uh, they'll be ready. So you, you can watch for a few tricks there, too, uh, throughout the year. Coach, when we flip the strip and look at LSU, you can never underestimate a team that values a game so much more than you. LSU getting a 34-31 to win over Arkansas. Point spreads to be thrown out the window when these two teams play. I think it's the last three years have all been decided by three points or less. LSU found enough offense to get the job done. Daniels didn't play his cleanest game, came out in the second half, played really impressive football, and made the passes that he needed to. The defense has to find a way to make some plays because it's it's not going to get easier from here, and you're going to have to play Ole Miss, and we know that Ole Miss's offense, they can run. They can yeah. make plays in the passing game. 
The one thing I'd like to say about Daniels, I would love to see him run lower. He runs really high. He's going to get a rib cracked or something like that. Uh, he can run. I know he's a tall guy, but he needs to learn learn to get a little body lean and fall forward because he takes a lot of shots to the to the head. But but uh, you know, watching that football game, um, because Daniels in, in the second half played a lot lot better. Uh, he's under kind of a little duress. He looked like he's throwing out of a silo because the offensive line is getting pushed in the middle and not on the perimeter as much, but, but up the middle. And that creates, you know, the, that creates some hands in your face. But I really think without him, I don't know where the offense would be. Uh, I really like the Diggs guy running the ball. He always falls forward. I think that's very, very important. Um, but, but they're secondary. They really need to do something. I think there are a couple guys that really step up that game. Mason Smith, I did not see him make a play all night long. In fact, several times I saw him push back two or three yards uh, with, on the double teams. And uh, you normally try to split double teams or do you collapse on double teams. I don't know what he was trying to do, but he was pushed back significantly. And um, the, the secondary just disappeared a couple of times. So I think that you know the Ole Miss game would be very interesting, but it's, it won't be interesting if they don't find a defense. They've got absolutely. And I, I think the problem is, coach, we're at the point where your identity defensive is what defense is what it is. You rank 104th and third down defense. You have to get off the field, right? And you know that as well as anybody. In order to keep, you want to keep your defense off the field, offense on the field, wear down on the team. If you're not able to get down the feet, all get off of the field on third down, it's going to be a long season. And it has to start yesterday. It is way past due for that defense to wake up. Exactly. All right, Coach, and we're going to go ahead and move on to our last section of our first opening segment, which is Saints. Uh, Saints dropped a game by one point, Coach, and we mentioned uh, the football gods giveth and taketh away. You wanted some games in very tight matchups, and you weren't able to pull this one off. Going into the fourth quarter, up 17 to nothing, and just kind of let it get away from them at the end. You know, because the first thing I want to say, the little kicker, Groupie, I mean, uh, they put a little burden on him, right? There wasn't a burden. He can, he, he's got the range, but you know, no one's brought this up. He kicked off the grass. That's the first game that he's actually kicked off the grass. Not that that should have mattered because they practice on grass and stuff like that. But the Green Bay grass is not like common Bermuda down here. It's not like the, the celebration Bermuda that we that we have in our football fields down here. So that had something to do with. And as you saw the game, you saw a lot of people slipping out there. And uh, now I was surprised that he didn't slip. I mean, he, he hit it well. He just hit it to the right, just just a little bit. But prior to that, they had chances. Uh, what I didn't understand in the game, though, everything shifted, and, and it was sort of funny because all of a sudden the guys that weren't open early, they were open late, and they they were. They, I thought the refereeing changed drastically in the first half. They were letting them play a little bit. All of a sudden, in the, in the especially the last drive, they got flagged for any little touchy. You know, so uh, make up your mind. How are you going to call? Are you going to call this tight? We'll do it from the beginning to the end. I thought that second half officiating was really, really different. Coach, next week they take on division opponent, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. What do they need to do in this game? What's the game plan have to be against this Tampa Bay team that's found some success in a guy who's been very much overlooked in Baker Mayfield, who's really been doing a solid job with the Buccaneers? I'm glad you mentioned him, Jason. I, I feel I, I got to know him a little bit at the Manning camp when he was there. He's not a tall guy. Baker might be six, maybe a little bit more than six foot in the chains a little bit, but he's so competitive. If you watch his, his mannerisms, he loves the game. He competes. He studies the game. He's a lot like Drew Brees, and I'm so tickled for him that he's having some success there. 
and, and found a home because you know he's been I mean he's been bashed by every sports writer you can you can imagine and but but on the flip side of it I don't think Tampa Bay is a bad football team and and I think you know right now with Jameis Winston um, that I think the Saints the offense need to find identity Camara comes back um, but that, it's it's more than just Camara I think they need to find identity and be able to have the mixture and uh, with that with that good defense but you know one thing that did surprise me in the game when Jordan Love kept the ball against a uh, and against um, uh, Mario Davis, and Davis is one of the best linebackers the Saints have ever had, maybe in the league right now. And he just kind of attacked his back shoulder and made him miss because he makes that tackle. That was the fourth down. Saints get the ball. They probably win right there. So the little little things like that kind of stood out in that ball in that ball game. So hopefully he can get back on track and, and get themselves because I think Coach Allen is, a, is an excellent person and a, and a real good defensive mind. So that'll do it for our first segment. When we come back, we'll have special guest, head coach of the Jesuit Blue Jays, Ryan Manali. And we want to once again thank our title sponsor, Accardo and Dufresne Law Firms. Before we head to break, your go-to River Parish lawyers. Samuel Accardo Jr. and R.A.P. Dufresne, your go-to River Parish lawyers. Experience, tenacity, and results. Sammy Accardo and Ari Dufresne provide comprehensive legal services in personal injury, hurricane claims, business litigation, successions, and estate planning. Our trial experience, know-how, and commitment to protect and serve our clients is unparalleled. We provide complete real estate, title, and escrow services through our affiliate, State Title LLC. The River Parishes is our home, and serving our communities is our passion. Based out of Gramercy, Louisiana, LSR produces Southern Cane Pure Cane Sugar, which is only grown, refined, and packaged in Louisiana. LSR utilizes the latest innovations in technology, as well as ensuring the growth and stability of Louisiana sugarcane farmers by integrating more than 800 growers in the industry's economic structure. Southern Cane is available in your local associated grocers and Rouse's supermarkets. Since 1972, Riverlands Insurance Services has been dedicated to securing the best insurance products and services available to protect you, your family, your assets, and your business. Our goal has been to establish a strong relationship and partnership between you, the insurance company, and our agency, creating a circle of success that prepares for disasters before they actually happen. Tonight is a head coach who was the winningest head coach in De La Salle's football program's history. He's also made the three state titles during his time there and competed for another during his time at his current school. So let's go ahead and bring in Coach Ryan Manali. Coach, thank you so much for joining us. And during your time coaching, you've gotten a lot of opportunities to coach against Frank Monica when it comes to being at De La Salle. And what's one thing that you had to really focus on or approach or what's something you'd like people to know about coaching against him well the first thing is is he he he's a mentor to me 
because he's made me such a he, – he, he developed me year in, year out when I play against Coach Monica. When you play against a Coach Monica's team, they're going to be so well coached and they're going to play so hard. You're either going to get your tail, your tail whipped and be embarrassed and leave, or you're going to find a way to develop every little phase – of your program. And, and I thank them. I mean, we went against each other and it was an honor being across the sidelines. And I, and I really saw our program develop year in, year out, just knowing the caliber of coach he is, the caliber man he is. And, uh, you know, definitely watch and, and, and listen for, uh, you know, listen to him talk and post game, pregame, and, you know, and really become a good friend of his over the years. And there's no doubt that he elevated uh, my program at De La Salle when I was there but mainly elevated me as a young coach growing coach, into it. Of course, that's very nice. Yes, just like I wrote it. Thank you. <laughs> no problem. But, but you're pretty no good in your own, own right, Coach. I tell, you, I tell you, Coach, you have built a great, great dynasty when you had, when you had a deal of salary right there, Coach. How many years have you been coaching? How many years is this for you? So, uh, give you the background, 13 years at, <clears throat> at Archbishop Rummel, uh, you know, where I was fortunate to coach with Nick a little bit a few years. Uh, you know, then went to uh, De La Salle, took the job there and was nine years the head coach there. And now I'm just uh, in my third year here at Jasper. I tell you, Coach, you've done a phenomenal job. And one thing I know, Coach, your teams are always, always physical. And I think you brought a sort of a, a different approach in the offense. And I don't know if you're still doing any of that. And certainly you don't have to divulge any information here. But uh, you always put some big people in the backfield and you're in a lot of the gap. Uh, down schemes and power schemes and and sometimes put an extra lineman in there in the backfield to block. That was pretty innovative and uh, people didn't have much of an answer for it because you really outmanned them at the point of attack. Are you still doing some of that? Yeah, we well, we got to play to our personnel. Uh, you know, I think that uh, that kind of stuff happened a little bit my first year. Uh, you know, we're down a uh, handful of guys. We, we you know, we have a lot of guys that, uh, you know, we have some seniors all the way down to freshmen playing right now. Uh, you know, I think we'll get back to that, but it's really trying to play to my personnel. Uh, but that's, that's the way we love to build it and play with where we can uh, move linemen. We can pull two, one, we can pull two, we can pull three. If we can find a way to get four through a hole, we'll do it. Uh, but it's really using our personnel and how can we get any type of advantages uh, that, that we think is an advantage and sometimes an advantage is keeping another team off the field. And sometimes we pride ourselves in doing that as well. Coach Manel, I know you have a huge, you have a, a, a tremendous uh, participation in the football program at Jesuit. How many kids do you actually have in your program from eighth, ninth, and all the way down, to, all the way up to the twelfth grade? Yeah, no, it's interesting. This year we have um, you know seventy four out with us right now, still in eighth grade. Um, you know, seventy eight total, if you include the guys that are just part of it. Uh, you know, then we go to our freshmen. Our freshman only guys is 58. And then we have a freshman that's with varsity as well. Uh, you know, we, we work right around uh, 105 total uh, with, the, with the varsity. So, you know, we're well over 200 uh, total guys. Uh, it, it, it's a challenge and it's something I really wanted um, to manage a program from top to bottom as big as uh, Jesuit. So uh, I kind of Knew what I was getting into and uh, wanted to see how I can handle it because De La Salle, when we built it, it was a little different. So, you know, we're talking over 200 kids uh, a year right now. And, um, you know, we kind of – we dressing out right around 110 in varsity, week in, week out, uh, you know, with, 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 with a junior high program uh, that still has over 100. 
Yeah, I love that. I love to hear that. Because a lot of people don't even know that you're also the assistant AD, not only head football coach, but also the assistant AD uh, there. And, and, and that's that has to bear a little more weight on you to, to get things done and stuff like that. But uh, also, Coach, let, think back for a second, Coach. What's some of the more memorable games that you ever participated in? And, and especially, I know you've been in the state championship three different times. And, and uh, you know, you're talking to someone that's got a lot of silver <laughs> rather than the, than the gold. But, but do you remember some of these memorable games that you can recall? Well, you know how it goes right now. Uh, right now, it's uh, St. It's Aug Friday night, so let me try and get the fog out. Uh, it, you know, I, I recall uh, playing when they did not have, um, you know, the, the state championship was at the home team site. We had to go to St. Thomas More, and I remember the uh, concert speakers, the big concert speaker, as loud as I've ever heard anything, kind of directed at our uh, visiting locker room that was a makeshift tent. Uh, went outside, Coach Jack Lodge trying to call uh, – the cadence run quarterback scout team quarterback. And he's looking at me. He couldn't hear anything. Nobody can hear anything. So I had to get right behind the center and blow the whistle uh, to prepare. Uh, then we had a helicopter come all down with the mascots. Uh, so we had a lot of distractions. Then we had a state championship game. I thought that was interesting, but no, they, they, each, each and every year uh, it, it was a different team. The relationships built uh, from the players, from the parents, from with the coaches, you know, year in, year out, it's been tremendous. But some of the greatest that w was is playing them Friday nights, you know, at a St. Charles Catholic. You know, one year we played at Lutcher for a uh, district championship. Both teams undefeated. Uh, we go to Lutcher, and it's it's standing room only before when we arrive. Uh, you know, it brings chills. We wound up winning that night 28 nothing, which we wanted to – I think that was in 17, 2017, and we had a heck of a team. Um you know, those memories, and there's just so many more. I can tell you, I don't want to tell you about the two bad ones because I, I want to make sure I'm in good graces with my administration <laughs> and coaching staff I have now because we've had some we've had some moments for sure uh, through this all, but it's all been great. It's all been the relationships built, a lifetime lasting, and, you know, anybody that I've coached or coached with, they know they can text or call me anytime, and if I can do anything for them, I will. But uh, this sport's so great. And building life lessons and building things that that, that that you need, that mental toughness, that discipline, that mental and physical toughness that you need to be very successful in just any any walk of life. I know, Coach, you, you, you've you built a lot of programs. And I know uh, the players really, really love you and, and respect you. Coach, uh, you played Friday night at the Shrine uh, at Airline. And I still think that's a baseball format. I don't know if that's ready to be a, a football venue. Uh, how was your experience there? Well, <clears throat> we played Curtis on Friday, so that's never really a good experience here. <laughs> no matter where you play it, right? Sometimes, no matter if we played them wherever, but no, it, they they trying. It, it it's uh, converted to a football grass. There's no baseball diamond cutting in and out. Uh, I thought the locker rooms are good. I thought the venue it has a lot of potential, and what they're supposed to be doing is dumping in plenty of money uh, sometime between this year and next year. Uh, to have a visiting stands and really start to grow into that type of field. And and we really need a field. Uh, we need something else for Friday nights for the Catholic League and for anybody else that don't get that home stadium feel. Um, so, you know, Vett was happy to play there. Um, I was okay with the venue. My fans were – it's tough for visiting fans right now. Mm -hmm. I think the home crowd, it's, it's okay. But for the visiting stadium, 
visiting sides, it's tough. It's more of a corner of the end zone, end zone shot, uh, and you're kind of far away from the, uh, from the stadium. You mm-hmm. know, sometimes as coaches, I mean, I got ear, earphones on, so I can't hear everybody telling me to run the ball or throw the ball or anything else. Uh, so, but it, it was definitely um, – it, it was definitely I would do it, and we're doing it again as a home team. I think it's going to be very good as a, as a, as a home stands, but it's not yet where it needs to be for a visiting stand to make it a good high school stadium in our area. Yeah, I was really wondering about that with your you know all your huddle set up and the coaches in the booth and things of that nature. If they had the vantage point to make that you know a viable uh, venue for you, but I, I do agree with you. And it's good to see them trying to renovate that thing to make it an additional football uh, venue because there's not many in the city. Uh, Coach, uh, I understand there's a meeting on Tuesday about the, the, the vote. Is there, you have any feeling about how that vote might go on, on the, um, on, on the, on the so-called injunction? No, no. I, uh, you know, unfortunately kind of lost some passion about really getting into the vote and seeing and calling around and seeing what everybody's going to do. Uh, the more and more this thing started to split uh, which was never in the best interest of the kids. I think if you find a competitor that's a young man as a, as a kid, a uh, student athlete, I think they're going to tell you they want to compete against everybody. Uh, I think that's what you know people do in, real, in the real world. I think you just compete. Um, so I, I, honestly, the more and more it's split away, the more and more mentally I kind of removed and let the powers of be and the people that you know make a heck of a lot more, more than me make them type of decisions. And uh, you know what I do think, is I did hear January they're going to have another vote to bring back together, and I hope uh, student-athletes get with the competitors that are student-athletes, the ones actually competing out there, kind of get what they want. And I think that's to play everybody and unify everything. Um, I do think that, um, uh, you know, I did hear that they're going to be a vote on this playoff. And me, I'll be honest with you, I'm just going to sit back and, and watch and try to figure out how we can win a game to get to the playoffs this year. <laughs> Exactly. Coach, I know that there's been talk about the, the Catholic League. You know, the Catholic League you now have Carr in it and John Curtis in it. It's not really the Catholic League anymore. Has there ever been, it, 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 to your knowledge, any conversation about maybe the Catholic League doing something else, like maybe some people moving out of it or dividing up and going to other districts? No, I mean, I think, uh, you know, you hear a couple coaches here and there have different ideas. Uh, but, you know, the ADs in this, in this league is so uh, – you know, they're all, all, all tradition, all friends. Yeah. They have more meetings than obviously any of the, <laughs> the coaches, um, you know, which is a great thing for them. But I think it's a tradition thing. Uh, you know, I, 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 you know, look to bring some um, some new ideas that maybe could be more creative. Uh, I know I'm learning my lessons right now. It's, uh, you know, because the Catholic League is still the Catholic League and them guys compete their butts off against each other. And now with Curtis and Carr, uh, you know, just me, but I feel that, you know, that those are schools that are geared towards football, uh, you know, and, and uh, they're in the Catholic League. That's it, it, It's just a little different uh, since the last time I was in it. But uh, I have no problem with playing them guys and we'll continue to compete against them. Uh, I'm just going to try not to schedule um, a couple other state champions on the schedule as well. Um, but we kind of did that before the playoff announcements changed. So, uh, you know, everything's changing a little bit day by day, and, and I kind of go along, and I'm more tunnel vision on, you know, my couple hundred kids made the 12th grade that we worried about um, and worried about development and, and how can I get better as a coach? How can we elevate, uh, you know, our coaching staff? How can we elevate the best experience for our kids? And, and that's really where my concern's at. 
uh, willing to listen to anybody, but you know how that is. It's not much time. Yeah. Coach, I remember because I coached in the Catholic League for five years there at Jesuit, your place. So I know what you're going through. And I've never seen a, a, a city like New Orleans because everybody associates uh, the school, uh, the high school that they graduated from, not their college. Whenever you meet someone on the street, the, the first thing they'll say, whether they'll say Jesuit of 65 or they'll say Holy Cross of, of 70 or they'll say Rummel, they always associate themselves with the school and not the college that they graduated from. You've never seen anything like it. And it's a very, very proud tradition, a Catholic tradition. That's what coaches, people don't understand that when all these archdiocesan schools were, were created along I-10, Louisiana is not like Tennessee and in Texas that they try to compare us to. And that's why the, the, the Catholic League is very, very parochial schools are very strong. And uh, when they talked about the, the so-called split from the very beginning, Jesuit and Holy Cross were two of the charter members of the Louisiana High School Athletic Association. These other schools came along afterwards. Uh, but anyway, that's a little, little right on my part. Coach, um, what would you like to see change in far as a, a foot, some of the football rules out there that you'd like to some adjustments or rules that you like to see in high school? Well, I think they're doing a little, they, they, they playing with the clock. Uh, you know, I'm going to tell you, and I'm going to start from the grassroots and that's our eighth grade, our junior high, um, you know, tradition, no special teams tradition. Like it was just a few years ago, coaches on the field. So I'm glad coaches are off the field. I think kids go from park ball to, to high school, junior high. And sometimes it's a step back, uh, and but you go to different places around the state and they're, they're playing some good football. Uh, you know, starting at the grassroots, I think them guys, they, they, they work all year. I think they deserve to play football. I think some of them games you get, uh, you know, they eight minute quarters and, uh, you know, that, that's supposed to be about 32 minutes in, of real football. And sometimes you're six minutes in, they tell you starting the second quarter. So uh, starting in an eighth grade ball, I like to see. Uh, you know, a little more folks, a little more care in that, and I think that's what we try to do. Uh, then you go all the way up to varsity level. You know, I think it's it's, it's a struggle to get officials. I feel for them guys. Uh, you know, I'm on the sidelines, and there's a handful of coaches on my staff, and, uh, you know, and, and uh, you like to tell them what you want to tell them, but uh, they're they working hard. They, they, they're doing a good job. You know, I kind of – it's the same thing. I worry about control, what I can control. And whatever a penalty is, is a penalty. One of the big things that happened is the out of bounds. You know, the, the thing where is the clock stopping because you got pushed out of bounds or is the clock running because you intentionally stepped sideways out of bounds, caught us in the game last year. I'm still kind of confused on that rule a little bit. Um, you know, getting out of the pocket, you can now throw the ball away. You know, the leniency of getting to the tackle box. Uh, I think that there's a consistency issue on some of that. But I don't think that's a bad thing. I think them guys are trying to trying as hard as they can. Uh, they care. I know some of the officials personally, personally good friends, and uh, you know happy they're doing it because I think there is a shortage out there. So I, I, I kind of control. I'm a guy to control what I control, and um, you know, and, and, and try to keep up the best with the rules the best I can. But I'm not one to to change too too much. I just wish there was a little more consistency on that out of bounds, especially with. You know, I see what's going on in the upper levels, college, with under over two minutes or under two minutes uh, type of ruling on out right. of Right. Uh, that's one of the things you brought up because I would love to see uh, the, with the huddle, everybody's got expansive use of huddle and, and the flexibility of it. And, and they all have the all the, the best gear that, they, that huddle can buy. 
I'd like to see them put instant replay in like they do for the state championships. And I don't know why they couldn't do it for at least just at least the fumbles. Cause I think that's a fumble is controversial, most controversial will play in football. But coach, aside from that, uh, uh, listen, you have done a tremendous job, no matter wherever you've been, you've worked hard. I saw what you've done at, uh, at De La Salle as far as soon as you became the head coach, how you built that program and, uh, and, and from scratch and, and, uh, you know, you're a heck of a you're a heck of a guy ambassador for football coaches in this state. And I love to see you on the sideline for many years to come because you have a lot of respect in the coaching profession, plus the former players that you've had. And uh, and, and I know that's that's why I think that the best is to come. And I know that you, that you have a young football team and, and sometimes, that you know, it's going to take time to do that and create your own culture. And that's something that a lot of people we talked about that on this podcast last week about how to build a culture that doesn't take place overnight. And I, and I know you're going to be very, very successful. And Judge was very, very fortunate to have you. No, thank you. It's an honor to be on talking some ball with you, that's for sure. And look forward to building uh, Carrollton and Banks up. And we're on our way to that. Um, and I can't wait to see Friday night moving forward and play what we have and develop what we have. And, and uh, you know, soon enough, we'll be a competitive program year in, year out. And, and maybe, Coach, uh, you know, after the football season, you and I go to track it, you'll get me a, an exacto for a change because you keep all the winners to yourself. You know, I want you yeah. to know that. So, so, Coach, thank you so much for being on our show tonight. I know you got a lot of work to do. you got to get that game plan ready and get your game face on. And, and uh, uh, I know you won't go to sleep. I mean, that you don't do that till after the season, correct? <laughs> yeah, after the season. And then I, you know how it is. We get a week here and a week there, and then it's back to development. So, yeah. Yeah, exactly. no, back to work here. I can't wait to get back to work for my guys and control what we control and try to detail our team and, and try to find a way to get a little better each week and see where it takes us. And coach, don't forget to hug the wife and the kids. That's that's important. Don't forget where they don't forget to make sure that they're in bed and tuck them in bed every night. Now I'm fortunate to be blessed with some of the best. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you so much, Coach, for being our guest. Thank you. Thank you, Coach. Great talking to you. Thank y'all. We'd like to once again thank head coach of the Jesuit Blue Jays, Ryan Manali, for joining us on the Let's Be Frank video podcast. And we'd also like to thank our sponsor, LSR, for sponsoring the Let's Be Frank video podcast. LSR produces Southern Cane Pure Cane Sugar, which is the only grown, refined, and packaged in Louisiana. Southern Cane is available in your local associated grocers and Rouse's supermarkets. Samuel Licardo Jr. and R.E.P. Dufresne, your go-to River Parish lawyers. Experience, tenacity, and results. Sammy Licardo and Ari Dufresne provide comprehensive legal services in personal injury, hurricane claims, business litigation, successions, and estate planning. Our trial experience, know-how, and commitment to protect and serve our clients is unparalleled. We provide complete real estate, title, and escrow services through our affiliate, State Title LLC. The River Parishes is our home, and serving our communities is our passion. Based out of Gramercy, Louisiana, LSR produces Southern Cane Pure Cane Sugar, which is only grown, refined, and packaged in Louisiana. LSR utilizes the latest innovations in technology, as well as ensuring the growth and stability of Louisiana sugarcane farmers by integrating more than 800 growers in the industry's economic structure. Southern Cane is available in your local associated grocers and Rouse's supermarkets. Since 1972, Riverlands Insurance Services has been dedicated to securing the best insurance products and services available to protect you, your family, your assets, 
and your business. Our goal has been to establish a strong relationship and partnership between you, the insurance company, and our agency, creating a circle of success that prepares for disasters before they actually happen. Welcome back to the Let's Be Frank video podcast. This is our third and final segment. We want to go ahead and thank Riverlands Insurance for sponsoring the podcast. Since 1972, Riverlands Insurance Services has been dedicated to securing the best insurance products and services available to protect you, your family, your assets, and your business. So we're going to go ahead and dive into the Let's Be Frank segment presented by ULCS. And coach, today you want to give a tribute to um, Buddy Tevens. So, coach, go ahead and take it away. Uh, yes, you know, I just wanted to take this uh, special time uh, to thank a, a former mentor of mine that that passed away last week, uh, Coach Buddy Tevens. In 1991, Coach Buddy Tevens took the two-lane job, and I was only a staff member that he kept off, off the previous staff. So I was ever indebted to him uh, for that. Got to know his family and his wife, Kirsten, and who was always there, good friends, and and all through the years, and um, you know stuff like that, buddy. I just wanted to throw some highlights to you. I don't think anybody else actually knew buddy from the standpoint that I knew it from working with him in the offices from you know from seven in the morning to eleven at night. Uh, buddy was a was a huge huge Jimmy Buffett fan, and it, it's sort of ironic. Within a couple of weeks of one another, both of them passed. He he loved Jimmy Buffett. We go on recruiting trips together, and. I mean, I could sing Margaritaville. I know all the words of Margaritaville and stuff like that. And I, but he he was he was a special friend. Uh, you know, he he gave me an opportunity to be a special team coordinator. I coached quarterbacks for him. Coached a guy like Sean King and and uh, I coached uh, Jeff Curtis uh, for for a year there. And he just gave me an opportunity to do that. Uh, but he was himself was, you know, he he was a, just a just a an avid uh, uh, um, bicyclist, you know, he, at one time he, he traveled all the way from, from um, California all the way to New Hampshire on a bicycle. It took him 19 days. He just loved to exercise and his wife, Kirsten, did, did the same thing, uh, you know, but, but uh, I, I, just a couple of things he did when, when we had too late. When he first pulled in there, he went in the weight room and he said, Coach, we're tearing up all these platforms. So we were in there for two consecutive days at three o'clock in the morning, tearing up all the platforms in a, in a brand new weight room that he wanted to reconstruct the weight room uh, like he did. Uh, the practice field, he had coaching staff out there with rakes and we, we laid our own side on the practice field because the practice field was, was a mess at the, at the time. Uh, you know, and one thing that he did, uh, he made all the coaches, we had to wear, we had to wear a shirt and tie in office all day, all night. Whenever you naturally went on a home visit, you wore a certain tie. You went on, on road trips, you wore a certain tie. And 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 um and, and the coaches couldn't get over this because most of the other people, most of the other people just wore just a coaching shirt in the offices. So so that that was sort of sort of unique. And um, you know, he always made the players very accountable. He wanted every one of his players to go introduce themselves to the professor 
and sit in the first two rows of the class. And we as coaches on Thursday morning would go out through the campus of Tulane and we'd have to go check and introduce ourselves to the, to the professor, tell them who we were, and that we'd check in on these guys to make sure that they were in class. So he was really, really big on, on academics. When, and whenever we took a road trip, Buddy always believed in, in, in giving the guys something educational. And I can remember we went to Boston and we went in the Boston legislature of Massachusetts. And, and I mean, we saw, we saw some of the founding fathers and the plaques of the founding fathers in that particular legislature. It was really inspiring to see that. Uh, when we went to play at Memphis, for instance, um, he made, we took a tour of, of Elvis's place. So he always put some, some type of culture to, that the guys could take with them. You know, at, at that particular time, and uh, you know, he always made sure that that the guys had the complete experience from being there. Uh, uh, he had this this tough mentality that he wanted the players to have. Whenever at that time we would practice at the Superdome twice a week, and Buddy would make us go in prison buses. We had prison buses that could, the Chief Hatch would would loan to us from the Sheriff's Department. And the prison buses had, had bars on the windows. And he also made players carry a lunch bucket and a hard hat, you know, to signify that they, they, they were going to work and, and the, that we were going to be physical, we, we were going to be tough. And, I mean, so it was pretty pretty unique. Um, but he also had this affinity for, for alligators. And um, at one time, this, someone gave him a, a, like a three-foot alligator. And on his office, there was a balcony. And uh, he kept his alligator there. In fact, he nicknamed the alligator Shoes. And it, it, I remember the time the alligator fell off the balcony and knocked itself out. And uh, we had to go down there to resuscitate the alligator. <laughs> and when he did come through, uh, I think at, at about that time, he was, he was forced to say, hey, let's, let's turn him over to the wild. But, uh, you know, uh, it, it, was, it was unbelievable. Um, Buddy on recruiting trips, when he made recruiting trips, he was sit in the, the front whenever he made a presentation to a family. He made the family sit in the sofa and he got a hardback chair and he sat right in the middle of the living room and made his presentation. He gave the most eloquent type of presentation you've ever heard. He used words that so long it sounded like he swallowed a, a thesaurus. And I mean, it, it, when you walked out of there, you were very, very impressed with him. And, uh, you know, so so, I mean, those are some of the things that, that I can remember with the guy. Uh, I would say, buddy, can you you ready to stop? We'd recruit all day long. He said, buddy, let's stop for a greasy hamburger. He said, no. Pull into that store. He would only eat water, bread, and bananas. And that was just kind of his diet. And, and that when, when he passed, he, he weighed about the same thing as he, as he did as, as a player because he was an excellent player you know, at one time. And what people don't realize that after that time, uh, we had the Manning camp. Buddy and Archie and, and Peyton, it was Peyton's idea, started the Manning camp. At, at Tulane. And in that Manning camp, uh, we actually ended up signing a guy by the name of Patrick Ramsey. Uh, Major Applewhite was in that, that same Manning camp also. And, and from there, we continued to work the, the Manning camp together. And, you know, one thing that, that we always say that the 2012, we, we, Buddy and I were no longer there, but 2012 football team at Tulane, uh, they went undefeated. But most of that team, most of that team, Sean King, Jawan Dawson, uh, J Jamaican Dartez, uh, Gerald Soule, they were all recruited by us at that particular time. So uh, that, that people don't remember uh, the, those type of things. But Buddy was a very, very special guy, loved his football. He was a hard, hard worker, and we're really going to miss him. And uh, this, this tribute to him, you know, and my mom always said, we're only passing through this world, and hopefully we will meet again someday. Thank you, Coach, for that. And, again, we want to send, send our prayers and thoughts to his family and everybody who was affected by his passing. And, Coach, we're going to go ahead and uh, shift gears a bit to our Blitz the Ball Coach segment. Coach, uh, we have a really good question for you this week. Why aren't more teams lining up under center 
and quarterbacks sneaking the ball on short yarded situations. Well, you know, the, the number one thing that comes to mind why they're not doing it is that the quarterbacks are not accustomed to taking the snap underneath the center. I got a phone call from a little league coach the other day and said, coach, how do you place your hand when you take the ball underneath the center? So I took a, a shot on my phone and I, I sent it to him to show where the knuckles go and how you take a snap. Uh, um, I work the Manning camp every year. And of all the kids on my field, I might have 150 kids on the field. Not one, not one can tell you how to take a snap from the center because everybody's in gun. These are high school uh, quarterbacks. And uh, of the 900 quarterbacks that might be there, they don't know how to take a snap underneath the center. So that's one reason. The second thing with the rules that they are now, if you're underneath the center and you snap the ball, you can and, and you can get aided by your backs. Your backs can actually push you. It used to be a call called aiding the runner. Well, no one calls that. And I don't even know if the rule, that rule is still in effect. But you can actually push the quarterback now and push him forward. So that's hard to stop a quarterback sneak when the quarterback's underneath the center. But let me tell you how it's done, though. The quarterback goes to the line. And it's his call. He tells the line which way he's going to sneak. He either calls to the right or left. He'll make a call, say, I'm going right or left. We might say rip, mean I'm going to the right. That means everybody wedges to the right. If he calls Liz, it means everybody, even the center, wedges to the left in unison. And it, that's practice. So I don't see how anybody that does not, does not uh, run the quarterback sneak more with less than a yard. We call it the lip. When you get down to the lip of the goal line, uh, it's hard to stop. And uh, on any particular defense, and the quarterback sometimes, if you know they're going to root hog, the defense can root hog, they can just leap over the top of you. So uh, it's it's mind-boggling to me to know that why in the quarterbacks need use more. But I just answered the question, and a lot of it is because that's, that quarterback's not used to take the snap when he's the center. And these days you can have two big guys lined up behind the quarterback and push him in. So you mentioned a great point. Aiding the runner is no longer a call, of course, this rule became very much in the spotlight during the push-push uh, game, if you will, when he pushed Matt Liner in the end zone. The question I have for you, Coach, is should that rule come back into effect? I, I think so because right now it, it's it's hard to stop it. I, I even see people – now pulling is supposed to be against the rules, but pulling – but you can push the guy from, from behind. If you ever notice that, that's an extra guy falls forward. That's sometimes an extra three yards uh, when these linemen come out and just push the ball carrier. And uh, uh, but I think I think it should be aiding the runner should be should be something that's considered. And if you if you think back, the wedge was actually made illegal years and years ago. This, of course, when the game was a lot less safe. But now adding on that pushing forward, you're essentially playing a a, a moment of rugby out there. I don't know about the safety of players. I, I, you would know more about that, coach. But again, I, I'm with you. I think that should uh, they should at least evaluate what they're doing with that situation. So. Um, in our last segment, of course, we have our lock of the week. Coach, I, I barely pulled out mine this past week, and you had uh, you had a big winner, did you not? Who did you have? I had Washington. I had Washington again. Yeah, mm-hmm. there you go. You're playing the hot hand, right, like we talked yeah. about earlier. So uh, who do you like this week? Coach, I'm going to take Alabama, uh, even though I've really, really looked at Ole Miss closely. Because I think that's going to be a high-scoring ball game, and unless LSU really corrects that defense, uh, Coach Kiffin is, is got a real good offensive mind. I think he's going to exploit LSU's um, secondary a little bit. But I'm going to go with Alabama, and uh, and I think it's seven and a half over Mississippi State. I took the same game. 
It was 14 and a half, by the way. 14, 14 and a half. half. I literally okay. – I, and I knew I should, I knew I should have talked to you before. I was actually going to take Washington, Coach. I didn't take Washington because I thought you were going to take them again. <laughs> so I actually going to take Alabama as well this week. Uh, 14 and a half spread, it seems like a lot. I, again, it's – don't mean to – no pun intended, kick a dog when they're down. I, I'm really not big on Mississippi State this year. And – Bama just covers against State. They, they've covered four. Well, the State changed years. their offense, and their offense is more run-oriented, and Alabama will stop that. Yeah. So, again, I like – I expect them to make it five years in a row of, of not only winning but outright covering the spread. But that will do it for this episode. So uh, we're going to go ahead and plug in our social media. Remember to follow us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, or X, whatever you call it these days, and TikTok. So on Facebook, it's – at the Let's Be Frank video podcast. You can follow, again, on TikTok, Twitter, and Instagram. It's at the LBF podcast. And that'll do it for us. Don't forget, we do have web-exclusive content that we only drop on our social media platforms. Coach, any final thoughts before we get out of here? No, guys, just um, for everybody, I think, you know, we get into the middle of the season. Uh, Be a fan. Don't be a critic. Be a fan. Go support your your local teams and, and, uh, you know, Support those coaches. I mean, they're working their buns off, and especially the players. And don't ever criticize players. You know, be a fan and and, and just yell and scream for the things, good things they do. And and boo never has a place in our society. Coach, uh, who do we have next week? Uh, uh, the guest speaker is going to be Slade Daigle, offense coordinator of Tulane University. All right, so we have that to look forward to for next week. So for Justin Thomas, for Frank Monica, I am Jason Dewey, and remember. Let's lay ball to him and lay a little good time for all. Go to church on Sunday, please. <laughs>